Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Stephen King cast, one man's musings on the works of Stephen King. If you joined me last week, you'll know that we covered uh, Carrie the novel, and this week we're going to cover both of the movie adaptations. Now, when I say movie, I'm referring to the 1976 and 2013 editions, and not the Rage, Carrie 2, or the 2002 USA TV movie, or the musical. Um, and, and actually, while I'm on the subject, I had completely forgotten about the 2002 uh, USA movie. Um, it, it's just weird because I remember around that time there was just a, a strange relationship that King had with uh, USA in the early 2000s. It led to the Dead Zone television show and apparently a completely forgettable Carrie remake starring Claire from Lost. So last week, I, I went into detail covering all of the aspects of, of Carrie. And what I want to do this week, I just want to dive right into um, the review. I watched both versions last night, and, and so there's the, the review is not going to be nearly as structured as breaking down the characters and breaking down the themes and the kingisms that are found within um, you know each of the versions. It's, I'm going to review the De Palma movie first, but in that review, I'm going to kind of weave in and out of the 2013 edition as well. So just looking at the, uh, the 76 movie, um, I mean, it begins with a game of volleyball on the yard um, rather than in the pool as seen in the 2013 edition. Um, and unlike that remake, this scene is not drawn out. It just it gets to it right away. A ball goes flying towards Carrie. Carrie swings. She whiffs. All the girls groan, and then causing her team to lose the game, uh, they re-enter the locking room, each one showing their displeasure at having lost um, at Carrie's inability to do anything right. I think that it's, it's just it's a good move on, on De Palma's part um, because it's just, you know, she doesn't have any of the skills needed to function uh, in quote-unquote normal society in high school, and whereas all of the girls are just a little bit more athletically capable than she is, she is completely incapable. And that little scene, I think, for a lot of people, it might really resonate, whereas I don't know exactly what was going on in the 2013 edition. I don't know why it was set in a pool. Um, I don't know why, you know, she... She's, she hits the ball at another girl. Like, I get it. I get what they're doing. But I just, I think that the De Palma version is um, a little bit more effective. Um, as the characters are going in, um, one of them just turns to her, says, eat shit, and then boom, the title card fades into view while the score, um, that that's more in line with, with what I would expect out of a Lifetime movie starts to play. Um, and already there's more of a depth and control to this movie that the 2013 movie will lack in its entirety. With the soft 70s score and the girls frolicking in the locker room like wood nymphs, uh, De Palma must have filmed the opening scene with comedic attention um, because I can't take it seriously. Um, it's, it's just a little bit uh, cheesy, and I don't know if it's just because the sensibilities at the time were different than now, but I'm going to view it as if this was intentional, that he knows that by the end of the the movie, it's going to be a bloodbath, and he's going to just make it as soft and and just and light as possible to the point where it, it's almost a farce. Um, you know, the, the scene happens... Um, you know, and it, it's pretty much exactly as it happens in the book. Um, it's horrible. It's over the top. You, you know, Carrie is um, uh, so vulnerable to the point of annoying because you just, you kind of want to shake her. You know, you, you kind of want to do what, what uh, 
um, you know, the gym teacher does in that moment and slap her, like snap out of it. The, uh, the principal in the 76 version is much, much more bumbling than both the assistant principal in the book and the principal from the 2013 counterpart. Because he's continually referring to Carrie as Cassie no matter how many times um, Desjardin corrects him. On a side note, uh, the character in the 76 edition is referred to as Miss Collins, probably because a name like Desjardin is more unbelievable than someone genuinely using the term dirty pillows. Um, so they made that switch to, 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 to Collins, but I'll re probably refer to her as Desjardin for the remainder of the review. Now, in the 2013 film, um, Desjardin is in control of the scene um, due to the principal's discomfort with the female time of the month um, rather than the, the principal being in charge of the scene. Um, this is played for laughs rather than as a portrayal of the principal's lack of compassion. Um, in the 2013, uh, it's the mention of having to call Carrie's mother that causes uh, Carrie's demonstration of power. And it's in my opinion that Kimberly Pierce's decision uh, trumps De Palma's here due to the fact that it reveals more about the relationship between Carrie and her mother, specifically the fear that she has of her mother. So that's that's one point for for Kimberly Pierce. Um, yeah, there's not going to be too many, but uh, I'm, I'm definitely going to give her that one over to Palma. Now, going back to De Palma's uh, film, because I, as I mentioned, I'm going to kind of flip-flop between the two, but looking back at, at De Palma, the, the scene goes from the, the, the scene inside the office to our secret weapon, all right? This is De Palma's uh, ringer, so to speak, the, the one and only Piper Laurie as Margaret White, who delivers every line with zealous glee. In interviews, uh, Piper Laurie explained how she believes the film is a black comedy, and as a result, with every scene she's in, she seems to be in a completely different movie, which only makes her insanity stand out that much more. And in the first scene between Carrie and her mother, De Palma films it as an, at an upward angle while Carrie is on her knees, um, and this gives Margaret even more power over her and us, the viewer. He downplays her dangerous insanity by having her matter-of-factly drag Carrie into the closet without any um, musical score uh, to, to tell us how, how to feel. It happens so fast, it takes a second to realize that we just watched a mother lock her daughter in the closet. And when it sinks in, we realize how dangerous this woman is. De Palma films the scene with the knowledge... Um, well, he films it because he understands that the purpose of this scene is to show the terror that Carrie must feel in that closet, um, and just as well as the nightmare it must be to live with that woman. Whereas in the remake, I just get the scene, the sense that the scene is filmed because it has to be filmed, because it's in the scripts, because it's an iconic scene, but there's not a purpose to it, and, and as a result, it's just, it's there. Whereas just how, how coldly she just drags her, it, it just it just happens. And then afterwards, it's just, whoa, did I, did I really just see that? In the, in the 76 De Palma version, um, the demonstrations of, of Carrie's powers are accompanied by a, 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 the, the psycho-styled string score. And in the 2013 version, they're accompanied with the, the low-frequency effect. Um, so audiences today, I, I just don't think would, would find the psycho strings frightening. I think that they they would find it, you know, probably humorous because at this point, outside of Psycho, it's um, you know, it's kind of a spoof. Uh, so I'm gonna go with uh, with Kimberly Pierce again. One point to Pierce. Um, so going back to uh, 
to uh, 1976 when Desjardin confronts the girls, I was shocked, shocked at this scene, not from any sort of palpable tension of the scene, but because I realized that one of the girls was Mrs. Poole from the Hogan family. So 10 points to Palma, way to go. Bringing back my childhood. It then cuts to Desjardin on the field, uh, punishing the girls to the breaking point, and I was immediately struck by how awesome the ridiculous of the musical score is. It's gonzo, it's cheesy, but what it does, it makes the scene memorable and fun. Um, and a little fun in the movie goes a long way when most of our movies today are serious with a capital S. It just seems that if a movie is one thing, it can only be one thing and it can't be a couple things. Whereas De Palma realizes, okay, I can make a movie and I'm in charge of this so I can, I can play with this. I can do different things with this. So, you know, I'm going to make it horrifying at the end, but in the meantime, you know, my, my character here, Desjardin or Collins, is, is playing here. And she's, you know, she's toying with, with the girls. So I'm going to toy with the audience a little bit and just have a little bit of goofy music playing. So because of this, 20 points to De Palma. Um, Sue meets up with Tommy at the track and asks him to take Carrie to the prom. Um, without much screen time, Amy Irving is already more sympathetic and memorable than her 2013 counterpart. You can already tell that her actions in the locker room have affected her, and seeing the disgusting, remorseless nature of Chris has made her want to atone for her actions. I don't get that sort of motivation or self-reflection from Gabrielle Wilde's 2013 performance. Uh, in fact, I, I don't get anything at all from Gabrielle Wilde's uh, 2013 performance, so I, I have to go with a negative 10 points from Pierce's movie for casting uh, Gabriella Wilde. And so when that scene is over, we 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 go to uh, to Chris and Billy, and it's got to be written somewhere that in Travolta's contract that when he's introduced in a movie, it has to be set to music. In this case, Heat Wave by Martha and the Vandellas. Um, unlike the book in the 2013 version, Billy is not malicious as much as he is just a bonehead, a lunk. He's just dumb. He's a dumb guy. Um, and although he might be filmed in the driver's seat, it's clear that Chris is the one driving the car. So De Palma spends enough time with the two of them to give us a glimpse of their twisted relationship. He's abusive. She's manipulative. Um, they're the evil power version um, of, they're the evil power couple version of, of Sue and Tommy, um, you know, who spend their time doing homework. These two spend their time killing pigs um, and just... God, just abusing each other emotionally and, and physically. So, but um, 10 points to the Palma for, for, for casting uh, John Travolta. Uh, Margaret and Carrie have a peaceful candlelight dinner um, against the backdrop of The Last Supper while a thunderstorm rages outside. It's a well-shot scene with the actresses floating in darkness on either ends of the table. De Palma captures their relationship perfectly when Margaret throws a glass of water in Carrie's face, and Carrie, used to this behavior at this point, just continues talking uninterrupted. Furthermore, he lends credence to Piper Laurie's claims of starring in a comedy because when Carrie utters the word prom, lightning flashes outside ominously. You know, it's usually that dun-dun-dun scene um, where the, the there's been a murder and then lightning flashes. Um, or you did it and, and the lightning flashes. But Carrie says, I've been asked to the prom. Boom. 15 points to the Palma. There is an incredible montage 
of the kids getting ready for the prom, both scenes from both movies set to awesome music. The the 76 um, version has so much wah-wah pedal, I feel like Peter Frampton's going to come to my door asking for a royalty check. And the 2013 edition is set to the hipster stylings of the Vampire Weekend's so-on-the-nose smash hit, Diane Young. But the winner of the bout has to go to the 76th edition because De Palma decided it was in everyone's best interest to have the guys speak in sped up Alvin and the Chipmunk voices. It's not wacky enough unless they're talking like chipmunks, I guess. Either way, 20 points goes to De Palma. Um, just in general, uh, De Palma wins uh, this. He's going to win between the two of them because he films the movie with so much energy from the tilted angles, the upward angles, the split screen, the pan-ins. It makes Pierce's job so much more difficult, and quite frankly, she doesn't stand a chance. De Palma's cinematic choices have become those of movie legends. Um, I do have to give her a little bit of credit because in 2013's edition, um, there's more of a believable explanation for Sue to head to the prom. In the 76th edition, she's just sitting at the dinner table. She gets up, she kisses her dad goodbye, and she leaves. And they're like, Sue, where are you going? But um, in the 2013 edition, she she gets a nasty text message from, from Chris, and she realizes that something very bad is going to happen. So it gives her much more motivation. Um, so 10 points, 10 points, Kimberly Pierce. Um, the, the, the 1976 pig blood scene is, is very effective, um, with its silence. Um, and, and by the pig blood scene, I, I mean the, uh, the, the scene at the prom when it happens, it's horrible because it splashes on her. And then it's just, all you hear is the rocking back and forth of the bucket. Very, very effective. And then you have the kaleidoscope camera with the repeated, they're all going to laugh at you, which illustrates Carrie's descent into madness. The following scene is the reason why this movie is memorable, why it is Carrie, and this helped put Stephen King on the map. As the color as the color turns to hellfire, um, hellfire red, and Carrie stands before the prom goers like a vengeful goddess. In the book, it's my belief that Carrie is in control of herself. She is in control of herself. Um, because she makes the decision to return to the prom, which in turn causes the destruction of Chamberlain. In the movie, Carrie just looks driven to insanity. Boom, right away. Almost possessed by the mania of her mother. Familiar, if just a little different. Um, This raises the question of Carrie's culpability in the movie, because unlike the book in which she made the conscientious decision to return to the school, she just loses it in the middle of the prom. By snapping out of reality, how much blame can we really place on her? However, we still blame Margaret for her actions throughout both the movies, as well as the book, and if she's in the grips of mental instability, and we blame her, should we not do the same for Carrie? Regardless, I think that we can agree that the 76 version movie of Carrie has uh, snapped during the prom sequence and is not in control of herself. Um, you know, unlike, and I'll get to it, the, the 2013 and the book editions. Um, I just need to point out an awesome shot. Um, it, it's kind of slowed down a little bit. It's from outside. It's 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 it, it's looking at at the gym. All you see is fire, and then very slowly the gym doors open, and Carrie just comes out drenched in blood in her dress with the 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 the, the, the prom um, on fire completely behind behind her. It's such a great shot. It's haunting. Um, it's a horrific image. Um, that I don't really recall people talking much about. Um, you know, I mean, the, the her, yes, covered in the blood is, is definitely something that is an image, but this this particular image, I think, um, 
is a is a, is a great uh, um, iconic image um, that that's just as um, iconic as the, the, the just being drenched in blood. Um, so look, as death scenes go, Piper Laurie's is so memorable uh, because Julianne Moore. I'm going to get to her in a second. Um, she plays it. She's in agony, but nope. Nope, not not Piper Laurie. Um, she can't do anything small. She has to go big every time. And if Julianne Moore plays it in agony, Laurie plays her death scene as if her character is in complete ecstasy. Um, just, you know, even at the end, uh, Margaret is just bonkers. Now, after murdering her mother, Carrie proceeds to tear down the house around them. Um, unlike the book in the 2013 edition, she has no interaction with Sue Snell before um, her death. And then the uh, the 76th edition ends with a dreamy scene in which Sue Snell walks to the ruin um, where White's house used to stand and is pulled into the ground by the bloody hand of Carrie herself. Uh, there's no baby, there's no miscarriage, just Sue Snell having a bad dream while her mother cradles her in the bed. No white commission, no my name is Susan Snell. Um, just Sue is there. Uh, she understands you know, as she's screaming in bed, I, I think that it's it's meant to signify that she understands that her actions in the locker room have helped contribute to this, and and that's it. That's that's all that that character needs, and and that's kind of all I need as a as a viewer um, to understand what's happening. Uh, it gets a little bit murkier in the uh, in the 2013 edition. It's just not as simple. It's not as clean, and I would say it's it's not as good. Um, so in the 2013 movie, um, it it goes it's it's much more uh, hits you over the head, you know. Uh, rather than just starting by meeting Carrie as we do in the you know 76 version, it's an ominous beginning with screams emanating from some suburban house, and the, the camera pans inside, and there's clothes, and there's blood, and there's broken water, and we meet Margaret White, played by Julianne Moore bloodied on a bed, writhing in agony, begging out for God to relieve the pain. Um, she doesn't know she's pregnant, so she doesn't know she's giving birth. Um, and when she realizes that something is now on the bed with her, the, the reveal of Carrie is shot like a, well, well, like a horror movie. Uh, she pulls back her, her nightgown, um, the, the way that you would kind of creep over the bed, uh, to reveal not a monster lurking at the edge, um, but a, a blood-covered baby. So just off the get-go, the, the movie hammers us with so much blood imagery that even the movie title is drenched with it. Uh, so then we meet, you know, Carrie. She's meek, she's shy, she's awkward. She's perpetually hunched over as if weighed down by her lack of self-confidence. You know, her eyes are always upturned. Um, she's just very, very skittish. Um, now, Sissy Spacek had played her very awkward as well, very withdrawn, but, uh, but, but Chloe does a very good job really retreating into herself, um, physically racked by, by her awkwardness and her, her knowing inability to fit in. Um, I didn't know if she would be able to, to convincingly play someone that isn't popular. I, I just, when she was cast, I said, no way. Um, but she does a good job dressed in, in her homemade clothes, buttoned up to the neck. She just looks like an outsider. Her hair is, is wild. It's unkempt. Um, 
so I when she starts to get bullied, I, I can see I can see the reasons why. Um, and she does a good job transforming herself throughout the movie. Uh, so I, I have to give her a lot of props for, for her portrayal of, of Carrie. Um, so when she's in the, and, and the scene in the locker room plays out pretty much the, the, the same way. Um, you know, the, it, it's, it's as it, it was depicted in the 76 version. It's depicted as, as how it was in the book. And, you know, just like the 76 version, um, you know, she and Desjardin played by Judy Greer, um, great performance by Judy Greer. Um, in the principal's office, it, it's very similar. Um, the, the principal is, is not as much as a bumbling fool as he is in the 76 version. And, uh, the fear of her mother in, in the scene is what manifests the telekinesis, um, which then smashes a glass water cooler, which I call BS on that. I don't, I have never seen a glass water cooler uh before i hope never to uh because that just sounds like a nightmare um so that that i'm sorry kimberly pierce but that that's a negative that's that's a negative 10 points right there um what is a great inclusion in the 2013 edition is the inclusion of technology because right now in our day and age bullying is still as prevalent in our society but it is much more harmful in the sense that it can it can last forever um it, it something can be recorded and it can be uploaded and it's something that you cannot run away from you can you, you know if something happens to you at school in like 1976 you could run home and be away from it right and if someone wasn't there to witness the bullying they didn't see it so they can't necessarily join in but now no you can't escape and that's why bullying is is so horrific today and that's why i i thought that it was a good idea to remake carrie because bullying has has taken on uh, a new ugly life in our society so i was kind of hoping that the movie would would do something different with it to to speak to what bullying looks like now and how it affects you know, our young people today, and unfortunately, it doesn't. I do like the fact that in that the that they have made the decision to to film it and and upload it because that is what bullying looks like today. But I don't think that Kimberly Pierce did enough. I wish that she had made uh, more decisions like this to to differentiate the 2013 edition from the the, the 1976 edition. So, um, with with this with with the cell phone and and posting it on on YouTube. You know, I give her 25 points, um, so that that's that was a really great move. When uh, when Carrie's home with uh, with her mom, um, we see just how different Julianne Moore's portrayal is of Margaret than than Piper Laurie, and it's a smart move on her part um, because we see right away that she's banging her head. She's in a daze, um, and then as we see from her performance, that this Margaret. Um, is not as well put together. She's a self-mutilator. Um, her head is bruised. Her arms are scabbed and scarred. Um, at what point? At one point during the the movie, she's talking to to another adult. I believe it's Sue's mom, and she has so much anxiety and terror um, at talking to another human being that underneath the counter, she's she's digging into her skin. Um, so where Piper Laurie plays it big, Julianne Moore plays it small. It's a quieter performance, yes, but it's, it's not without its intensity. In fact, it works for the movie 
because when she does lash out, boom, it comes out of nowhere. I mean, there's one scene where she's talking to Carrie. She's very quiet. She seems just self-possessed by her thoughts. She's, like, distracted, um, and she's talking so quietly, and then out of nowhere, she just hits Carrie in the head with a Bible that knocks her to the ground, and it made me jump, and then Carrie's eyes are big and wide, like, where did that come from? And I felt exactly the same thing. So it, 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 it was a very, very good um, choice on her part, because if she did go big, she would be compared to Piper Laurie, and she makes this version of Margaret her own. So, you know, I mean, it's a very effective um, performance. When uh, she does eventually lock Carrie into the closet, it's, to me, it's not as memorable as how um, Piper Laurie locks Sissy Spacek in the closet. Um, and then the, the, the figure that's in the 1976, I forgot to mention, is, is terrifying with the glowing eyes. It's the most horrifying thing I've, I've ever seen in my life. It's almost supernatural. Um, whereas in this version, um, you just you have a Jesus that begins to bleed. And so again, we, we have more blood. Um, we, we see Billy and Chris later on, um, and they're, they're uploading the, the plug it up video. Um, you know, I, I talked about, uh, you know, the importance of this scene to, to modernize and contextualize this particular version and set it apart from the, the 76 edition. Um, and what's also good is that this modernism, uh, serves to juxtapose just how out of times, um, Margaret is and, and the kind of life that, that, that Carrie has been raised into. Now, um, it, it cuts to the scene of the girls on the, on the field with, um, having, uh, you know, Desjardin as played by Judy Greer as a gym teacher and she's playing with the girls and she's walking down the line and she's emphasizing, uh, you know, the importance of the end of the school year. Um, and I love the way that, uh, Judy Greer plays this scene. I love the way she plays this part because she, she's, she makes no qualms about being just as catty, um, as the girls themselves. And if they're going to be cats, she's going to be a lioness. And she extends her claws to show just who can scratch the deepest. It's a great, it's a great performance because in the, in the 76 edition, um, I feel as though the, the Desjardin or Collins, whatever you want to call her, um, character is just, she's that authority figure. She's the teacher and she's disappointing. And yeah, she kind of gets in their face and she swears at them, but not, I just, I like the way that Judy Greer does it. She just, she's condescending. She's rude. She's nasty. And I love it. I think it's great. Um, but I have to say, as I'm watching it, I just said, no, no. Okay. No, you can't, you can't suspend somebody for not running laps on the field. I don't like that choice because it actually makes me feel sympathetic for Chris when she's had enough. I, I get it. I would have had enough too. Um, so rather than representing the one person who was fighting for Carrie, Miss Desjardin comes across as a monster and Chris is not wrong when she calls her out for child abuse. Um, that, that to me just screamed, uh, way too unrealistic. Um, 
it goes back to Carrie, and I just I think the self-loathing that Carrie feels is very much well-earned. Because when she walks through the hallway, you feel each and every judging eye, and you hear every sniggering jest. Um, even her English teacher seems to be in on the joke against her. And and to me, it's it's much more malicious in the in the 2013 edition um, than the 76 edition because the the performance I get from the the the, the actor in the 76 edition, while he is poking fun at Carrie, I kind of get the impression that he's the kind of guy that would uh, do that to any of the, the students. He, he's just kind of pompous. He has this 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 airy um, importance about him. Whereas the, the 2013 edition, I, I get the, the impression that the teacher is like leaning back. I think, you know, he kind of wants to be the cool teacher. So he'll, you know, he'll, um, you know, interact more with the cool kids. And if the cool kids don't like Carrie, he's not going to like Carrie. You know, that's the impression I get from that guy. Um, so I, I, I'm going to give 10 points to, to, uh, to Kimberly Pierce on this. So, you know, good job for that. Um, so I... I also think that it's important to, to note that, that Tommy is disgusted by his teacher's um, inclusion of constant torture of Carrie. It's a smart move to demonstrate that any action he's going to take later on is completely his own, um, and that will make his demise that much more tragic. Um, and now, unfortunately, uh, both the Palma and Pierce, they, they, they set up Tommy as as being altruistic, right? So everything I just said is is certainly true. However, both directors undermine what they set up by um, including a scene with Susan and Desjardin and Tommy in which it really does appear as though Tommy is Sue's puppet. I don't like that that particular scene for that reason. I do like in both versions how Tommy stands up for 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 Carrie. Um, now Pierce includes little touches that are very effective. Um, for one, uh, Carrie marvels at a peer's ability to type while she herself has to, you know, pick and peck at the keyboard. Um, she doesn't know how to maximize a window on the computer screen. So these are just great choices to show what an outcast she is in today's society. And I really wish that the director had focused more on this rather than going back to King's novel and the De Palma version for inspiration. I mean, because that those scenes to me really pop out and those scenes make this movie memorable. That's what I remember from this movie, not not the recreations of scenes I already know. I wish that she had made more changes. Um, it would have made it uh, just stand out. Um, so, you know, I mean, I want to talk a little bit about Chris and Sue, I guess, you know, Chris calls Sue out on her hypocrisy. Um, and I, I agree with Chris in this, um, uh, edition because I don't feel as though Sue stopped in the locker room because it was the wrong thing to do. Um, I think that she did stop because she knew that if she would cost, she, if she was caught, it would cost her the, the dream prom she's always wanted. The one she was almost meant to be the star of. So, I mean, I, I don't want to be siding with Chris here. I just think that there are some some filmmaking choices that are are hurting our ability to to feel empathy for for the Sue character or for the Discharden character that I wish that had been excised because I just want to dislike Sue. Um, 
there's a scene where where uh, Carrie is 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 levitating stuff, and and they all come tumbling down, and <laughs> Margaret goes running up the stairs with with a knife in her hand. Um, that I just thought was a bit too much. Um, when uh, then then it cuts to 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 Sue on the field watching Tommy, and I, there's just nothing like a unironic slow mo shot of Tommy running his lacrosse gear towards the camera, which just made me groan. Um, it was just unnecessarily cheesy. And then Gabriella Wilde just badly acts her way through the take carry to the dance scene. Um, that scene needs to be, she needs to be able to convince us, you know, that there's a reason for her to want to do this, that because it's a preposterous plot, all right, it's, and it needs to be convincing. I'm not convinced. Um, and Tommy asks Carrie out. And all she does is is see the stairs, and she hears all the laughter from everyone. Um, he doesn't. Um, maybe he does, but he just doesn't care. Uh, but unlike the book, and like the, the previous movie, it's not finished in one scene. She's convinced it's a trick. She runs away. Um, and I'm happy for this, because it provides a scene in both versions between her and, and Miss Desjardin. Um, and I think that's a great idea to, uh, to include this, to create more of a relationship between these two characters, because it gives more hope to what's ultimately a hopeless situation. Uh, and Carrie explains how Tommy has asked her out, and Desjardin tries to fill her with confidence for a moment, giving Carrie the mom she always needed. Um, you know, and I really like the way that, that Judy Greer plays it. Um, and it's also important that this scene occurs because it also makes Desjardin a more proactive character, and she's always she's really looking out for Carrie. Um, she goes and she confronts um, Tommy and Sue, uh, and as I said, it's great for Desjardins' character, but I think that it really weakens Tommy's uh, because he just really appears to be more of Sue's lackey than he'd previously acted. Um, and in the, the 2013 edition, he just he seems more of a bonehead um, than he had in previous scenes or will in later scenes, just comparing himself to Tim Tebow. I, I, I just, I wish, I wish that they didn't play it for last. Like the, 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 the 76 Tommy still seems in that scene to be Sue's lackey, but he just he just wants to go to class. He wants to get out of there. He, and then, like, he's looking at the two women in his life and, like, ugh, I, I can't win. That That's the impression that I get out of him, um, whereas he's just a doofus in the, in the 2013 edition. Um, in the 2013 edition, he goes to Carrie's house, which is filmed with uh, this TikTok of dread, um, because every, you know, every car it passes by, you know, Carrie's big eyes dart to, um, just for the, the fear of, of mom pulling into the driveway. And yeah, she agrees to go, but I think that she agrees to go just so he can leave. Um, you know, and then, uh, there's the scene where she admits she's going to go to the prom and it has to go over the top. We need to show off all the special effects we have. So she lifts all the furniture in the living room. Eh. Um, you know, that then she just, you know, forces her mother not to just stand up, but to float in the air. Margaret calls her a witch, and I could care less at this point. Um, so, but at this point, uh, you know, what is good is that Carrie's undergoing a transformation. She's starting to gain some confidence, and this is demonstrated. Um, she's starting to, to wear dresses, um, and her hair is less unkempt. Um, so that, it's just, it's a good touch, I, I believe. Um, and then we have the pig killing scene. Uh, you know, Billy kills the pig and forces Chris to slit its throat. And in case you didn't miss, in case you missed it, uh, there's more blood. 
you know, in case you just said to yourself, you know what, there's just not enough blood in this movie. In fact, they, they you know, there's blood on their face, and what do they decide to do? Start making out with each other. Um, goes back to the the, the White House, and uh, you know, I, I like that there's a shift in the dynamic between the two of them because Margaret is now terrified of Carrie after that previous demonstration of power. Um, and then we have uh, a scene very similar to the 76th edition in which um, everyone is is prepping for the prom. Um, and unlike the, the bonkers, wacky, gee whiz uh, soundtrack of the, the 76th edition, we have uh, uh, Diane Young by Vampire Weekend. And I got to say, I was watching this with my wife, and as the the music started to play, I called it, um, and she did not hide her disappointment in the fact that I recognized the music right away, and, um, pointed out that this was meant for teenagers, uh, so yes, yes, I, I did know the song, I do like the song, um, and I, I must share that with, with everybody, um, so, uh, you know, she gets ready for the, the, the prom, and, uh, you know, Margaret delivers the they're all going to laugh at you line. And I, I'm glad, again, she, she plays it differently. It's genuine here. Um, it's sad. It's compassionate. She's touching her face and, and she wants to hide her from from the pain that she feels that Carrie's going to experience at the prom. I, I, I really like that if they're going to include the line, um that she that she plays it this way my whole philosophy on on remakes just do something different if they don't if you know i don't need homages i don't need tributes i don't need callbacks you know i don't need dirty pillows i don't even need they're all gonna laugh at you yeah they're iconic but as soon as you utter it you set up a you know a, a comparison um that that's probably going to work against you. You know, I mean, this happens a lot in comic book movies where there always needs to be cameos and, you know, recreations of famous shots, and I, I don't need that stuff anymore. With that said, if they're going to say they're all going to laugh at you, it's a, it's a good job. Um, at the prom, um, there's a scene between Tommy and Carrie that, that I think is genuinely touching. Now, I don't buy any feelings he might have towards her. In fact, I don't think that he does have any feelings towards her. In the, in the book... Um, you know, it, it get, we were able to see his thoughts, um, and, and we know that he's starting to fall for her. I, I don't buy it. Um, I don't recall in the movie him falling for Carrie. I think that he's just being kind. Um, and the same thing here. I, I think that he's just, he wants to give her a good time. He wants to show her that not everyone is horrible. Um, and he's, you know, sacrificing, you know, the date that he would have with his girlfriend to, to spend quality time with Carrie. Um, and it shows his kindness. Um, and I really buy her vulnerability in this scene. Um, it's heartbreaking, um, because she's having this, this moment of temporary joy as she dances with the most popular boy in the school. Um, it's not going to last. And it's like, she knows she's not going to last and she doesn't want it to. It's sad. Um, and I think that, that Chloe does a really good job. Now, Margaret, who has been locked in the closet, um, pushes her way through the door in a way that suggests a birth of sorts, um, and the next time we see her, she'll be a monster and she'll try to kill her daughter. But if it's a birth, you know, what birth would be complete without, you guessed it, more blood? So, ladies and gentlemen, we, we get some more blood. Um, cuts back to the, um, the, the, the prom, and Carrie gets a paper cut that causes some more blood 
and then Sue gets a text message from from the villainous Chris. Um, and as I said earlier, it's a good modern reason for her to go to head to the prom. And Sue, um, like the 76th edition, is there at the prom to witness the bloodbath. Um, in both editions, um, by searching for Chris and trying to prevent the prank, it gives her more of a proactive character, which I, I like. Um, Billy delivers the, this is jail time speech from the book, um, which I just don't buy. Um, the, the movie did not establish the reversal of power between the two of them, how her, uh, control has spun out of control much in the way that Carrie's is about to spun, spin out of control. Um, that's why I prefer the, between these two movie versions, I prefer the, 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 the 76 edition. It's just much more simple. Chris is bad. She uses Billy. Billy's an idiot. Whereas this, it's Chris is bad, then Billy's worse, and then flip flops back to Chris is bad. Um, you know, De Palma just made a good, you know, good point. He said, "This is my female character that I'm going to just. She's going to be a caricature. She's going to be mean. She's going to be catty. She's going to be manipulative. She's going to be this evil little high schooler. You know, the one that you knew in high school. That's just horrible to everyone else." And I'm not going to play with reversals of power. She's just going to be mean. And, and I think that that, by simplifying it, it made that a stronger movie. Um, this doesn't work for me because it just flip-flops back and forth. Now, the pig blood scene happens. It gets poured all over her. Um, and it's accentuated with the plug it up video, which has gone viral. And it's, it's shown on the screen, um, which is a, a smart thing for Kimberly Pierce to do um, because it differentiates it from the the the, um, the, the De Palma version um, and it turns it oh god I just feel so bad for her because it feels like everyone's in on it that the entire school was in on it uh, you know and w- which makes what's going to happen uh, that much more believable or if not it's always believable when Carrie when Carrie gives into the dark side it's believable i get it but um this it gives more credence to to her actions and just Pierce juxtaposing Carrie against herself on the screen at her most vulnerable um this gives her all the more reason to unleash the pent up rage that's been building inside her and this movie makes no qualms in showing that when she unleashes she does so in full control of herself this is not wide-eyed sissy spacek being in a trance uh you know, Chloe does a great job at, she is mad, she's lost it, she's had enough, and she doesn't care what happens to anybody else, because no one ever cared what happened to her, and this prom scene is, is filmed with a lot of power, you know, gone are the, 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 the tricks and techniques of De Palma, gone are the split screen and the kaleidoscope shots, it's just pure mayhem, with a possessed carry filled with malicious glee. She's taking revenge, and she's enjoying every second of it, from crushing a boy in half with the bleachers, to forcing two girls to be trampled to death, setting a girl on fire. She even levitates. And the scene of a floating, blood-drenched carry ringed by fire is a very impressive image. In the world of superheroes, she just doesn't demonstrate telekinesis. At this moment, she becomes a full-fledged supervillain. Kimberly Pierce draws out Chris's death um, in the next scene, giving Carrie a more satisfying victory over her enemy, slowly stalking her, lifting her car off the ground before throwing it into the gas station pumps, and includes a memorable shot of Chris's face smashed through the car windshield that's impressive enough to be included among the list of other classic moments and images created by both King and De Palma before her. So 10 points, 10 points. That's, that's good. 
Carrie returns home to her mother, um, not to kill her as she did in the book, but because she just doesn't have anywhere else to go. And while home, she washes the blood from her body and while in the bath, suddenly realizes what she's done. She might be able to wash the pig's blood from her buddy, body, but she'll never be able to wash the blood uh, of her peers uh, from her hands. Uh, this is a more effective performance than the 76 edition, so, uh, you know, uh, five points here. And then we're given our final scene between mother and daughter. Um, Margaret proceeds to monologue about the moment of Carrie's inception because, hey, what child doesn't want to hear that? And uh, they get down on their knees to pray, and when kneeling, just like the original, Margaret delivers a devastating blow with the knife into Carrie's back. In this scene, Carrie does not seem to be a supernatural force. It's really heartbreaking. Um, she's just she's reverted to just being a, a vulnerable girl who's being viciously attacked by her mother. It comes out of the blue. Um, it's horrific. Um, and unlike the book, she uh, she murders her mother with great regret and only because she has to stay alive. Um, Carrie then frees mom from the closet and cradles her until the death. With Margaret finally gone, Carrie has nothing left except Sue Snell, who enters the house. Uh, God. Uh, there is zero relationship between these two characters in this movie, and the scene is completely unearned. Carrie proceeds to bring the house down around them and for some reason saves the life of Sue and Sue's unborn daughter, I guess in the hopes that the child will have a chance at happiness and that, that she herself never had and that Gabriella Wilde can demonstrate emotion in a movie sometime in the future. Uh, upon conclusion, it would have just made for a tighter narrative um, if, if Tommy and Chris had been the ones dating. I mean, Sue does not do anything in this movie. Um, I just, I wish that the screenwriters just would have looked at it and said, okay, the, this character just needs to go. She's not doing anything. And if, if, if it was, if it was Tommy and Chris, um, you, you could have made, you know, Chris, I'm sorry, you could have made Tommy stand out that much more because maybe he so disgusted with Chris's actions takes Carrie to the prom, you know, saying, listen, Chris, what you did was ugly. And, you know, I just, I feel bad for this girl and we're breaking up and I'm going to take her to the prom. It would have uh, cut out the extraneous character of Sue entirely, would have given Disjardin valid reasons to to really mistrust his intentions and create even more hatred between Chris and Carrie. Um, without the need for scene without the need for scenes um, of of Sue or Billy, it would have allowed for more time for the other characters. Um, so I just wish that they had done that. Um, hey, before I forget, um, I, I just there there's one thing that I wanted to add in the Stephen King tropes from, from last week that is really important to note that in this book and in the movie we see a very very popular Stephen King trope the Stephen King ending which is always bathed in fire um, it's like Stephen King gets to the end and he says well what what can happen I can blow something up I can light something on fire so in every edition uh, there is definitely fire that we're gonna see here at at the end of the the Carrie story and rears its first time as a trope. Um, in Carrie. So, uh, we've read the book together, we've watched the movies together, so I just, I, I want to see who the, the winners are in each edition in the big smackdown between the, the book versus movie versus movie. So, um, let's look at the characters first. So, we have Sissy Spacek, we have Chloe Moretz, I don't know how to pronounce her last name. That's why I've just been saying Chloe the entire time. Uh, Moretz, I believe. Um, so, we have these three uh, the additions, and uh, I'm going to have to go. The winner is 
uh, Carrie White, the the book. Um, I just think that she's just uh, shaded with much more characterization. Um, she's more heartbreaking. She's more filled with rage. Um, it's just more of a complex character. I think that both actresses do incredible jobs bringing her to life, and each one brings um, a little something different to the table. As I said, I didn't think that that Chloe was going to be um, believable in the role, uh, especially because Sissy because Sissy Spacek was so memorable, um, you know. But but I think that Chloe held her own, and she brought something different. She modernized the character. She she brought a more um, heartbreaking element to to the character that I think was was very effective um but I'm gonna have to go with the book on that one so so Stephen King wins that um Chris I uh we have our our book version who who flip-flops in terms of power um and at times she's all in on the plan and she backs out of the plan and she's all in um we have the um Nancy Allen version in um in the 76th edition, and I don't know the name of the actress in the uh, in the 2013. And I'm actually, I'm going to go with the Brian De Palma 1976 version played by Nancy Allen. Maybe it's because she goes on to co-star um, in RoboCop, which is an incredible movie. Um, but I think that the, just the streamlining that character and just making her nasty, I think just helps um, serve the story. Um, and I think that she does a really good job and her relationship with Billy is just twisted. Uh, so I'm going to go with, with Nancy Allen and, and Chris, um, from the, the 76 to Palma version. So while we're on the subject of the other half of the relationship, how does, how does Billy stack up in all three editions? Well, immediately I'm counting out the actor in the 2013 edition. He's good. I, I liked him a lot in Chronicle. Uh, but, uh, but um, he, he doesn't really hold a, a torch to the the image of Billy as a greaser. Um, but you know what? I just gotta say, if you're gonna have John Travolta cast in the role, you gotta give the the award to John Travolta. He's such a lunkhead. Um, he just brings this dumb humor, even though it's not funny. Uh, it's just something. All the connotations that I think a viewer has of Travolta carries with you as as you watch the the film so i'm going to give um john travolta the edge because keep in mind that the 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 book version of of the billy character is a prototype it's the greaser prototype and i think that he will perfect it later on with henry bowers from it and ace merrill from the body um and then we have uh sue um sue snell uh so let's see about sue um we have the uh, Amy Irving, we have the Gabrielle Wilde, and we have the um, the Sue from the book. I'm I'm gonna go with the book because I have no idea whether or not she's an unreliable narrator. If she's a part of it, if she's nasty, if she is just so completely um, unaware of her actions. Um, I thought a lot about the character in the book. I did not really think too much about um, Amy Irving. Um, and or, or the Gabriella Wild. Uh, I, I think that you know Amy Irving did a good job in the movie, but uh, I just I really um, I was fascinated by by the book character. So book hands down, hands down. Tommy book hands down. I like the performances from both of the actors. The 2013 edition actor has been making a name for himself um, with uh, with the Fault in Our Stars, and actually he's been tapped. Um, 
to to be in the the, the stand remake. Uh, so this will not be the last time we're talking about him in a in a Stephen King context. But I I just I really like the book character of Tommy. And uh, then we have uh, Desjardins slash Collins. I'm going with uh, with Judy Greer. Like I said, I just like how catty she was in this movie. She she just really was rooting for for Carrie. Um, she's a little bit colder in the book. Um, at first, you know, when when she there's something about um, what's happening that she just wants to slap Carrie. Uh, you know, at the end, she, you know, she does uh, you know quit teaching. Which is a, I, I just a great memorable character moment, but I just I really like the way Judy Greer um, brings her to life. So, winner Judy Greer, loser Mrs. Collins. I mean, I mean, why change that that wonderful name from Desjardin? Uh, and then Margaret White. Um, who's it going to be? Is it going to be the book? Is it going to be Julianne Moore or is it going to be Piper Laurie? Of course it's going to be Piper Laurie. I mean, she is an iconic movie villain between the dirty pillows and they're all going to laugh at you taunt. Um, and she brought this character to life. Um, and I love that she thought it was a, a comedy. I love the the manic glee that she has in her eyes and her smile and you know, the cape that she wears. Um, I The book is just so over the top. Um, you know, it's, it's terrifying. It is terrifying. Um, but it is over the top. Uh, and, and Julianne Moore does a good job at, at, at playing in such a way where it gives context to, to, to why Carrie is the way she is, but it doesn't stand out nearly as much as, as the performance from Piper Laurie. So it's Piper Laurie all the way. And, uh, the winner, um, is it the, the book, is it the De Palma movie? Is it the Kimberly Pierce movie? The winner is, ladies and gentlemen, the book. Um, with a special nod towards the De Palma version. Um, you know, just because in its own right, it is a classic. I was really rooting for the 2013 movie because I think that bullying is is a horrible thing. And I think that this movie could have been a statement for today's style of bullying and, and, and the life that bullying has taken on in our national consciousness. And I think that the ball was dropped by having it be a little bit too slavish to, uh, to every edition that's come out before. Um, but uh, no adaptation has managed to capture the growing dread or the tension that one experiences as we make our way to the prom, knowing that the, there's going to be a tragedy that, that, that's going to occur at the prom. Uh, so, um, yeah, I mean, the, the, the book, I, I think that I've said everything that I, I possibly can say about Carrie at this point. But if you have any, any questions or, or comments, please, please feel free um, to reach out um, so I can, I can read them and, and, and share my thoughts and share your thoughts. And, um, you know, thank you for, for spending uh, another um, hour of your time as we talk about Carrie. And, uh Stay tuned next week as we head back into the text of Stephen King for his second novel, the vampire classic Salem's Lot. And appropriately to play us out as a wonderful bridge between what we've talked about today and what we're going to talk about next week, Vampire Weekends, Diane Young.